welcome everyone, families included. So if you're visiting with us, um, we treasure this as like a big family service. So we have everyone, young and old, um, all just up here to enjoy and to celebrate together. Um, and that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to celebrate. Um, we're going to dive into the scripture and, and understand a little bit more of what we're celebrating. So as you have your note sheet, and if you'd like, and if you have a lot of kids with you, or even if you don't, what I did was usually we do like some fun blanks and stuff like that so you can follow along. All pre-filled out tonight. Just kind of got to follow along. And if you want to follow later, after the fact, uh, all the scripture references will all be there so you can kind of tag right in and, uh, and just join back into the study as well. All right, so tonight we are culminating our small mini Advent series. You know, as Oak Ridge goes right now, you know, small four weeks is like, that's kind of a, a big deal because we're under like big mega series. So if you're visiting with us, we've been walking through uh, a biblical review, a, a book a Sunday. And so our Advent series has been taking us through the Gospels and uh, we, we come tonight and just get to dwell on what we've been talking about with the scarlet thread. And I'll get on that in just a second. One of the things that I'd like to talk about as we talk about Advent or arrival, which is what Advent means, um, is just to make sure that we understand fully what we are celebrating the arrival of and how deep uh, that hopefully impacts us. And so with that, one of the things that I'd like to capture is just an understanding of the hustle and bustle of the season that we find ourselves in. And so... I thought, what better way to, to address such a hustle than to someone to go and reference someone who has done it innumerable times before. I'd like to introduce you guys to Christopher Shea, who you are all very aware of, obviously. No, maybe not. May I help you? Christopher Shea lends his voice to a dearly beloved character, one Linus. Ah, yes. So, if you guys know, I just, I just wanted to take a second, I uh, was hoping to play a video clip, but it didn't work, didn't work out. But I think hopefully we're all familiar with, and I'd just like to pause with the appreciation that so every year, right, when the, when the Charlie Brown special is played, right in the middle of there, Charlie goes, doesn't anybody know what Christmas is all about? And Linus, cool as a cucumber, Mr. Insecurity, walks up. Dim the lights, please, right? And he calls, he sets down his blanket in a rare peanut moment. He sets down his blanket and he recites Luke 2. And then he goes over and he walks up to Charlie Brown and says, Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about. Introducing to millions every year in a secular audience the concept that indeed Christmas is about the arrival of Jesus Christ. And I just, I think that's awesome. And it, it just, I find it so relieving that we get to see that still during the season. And so I wanted to just understand that I think Linus got it right, obviously, kind of, right? That indeed this whole season is about that. That is what Christmas is all about. But I find a little bit of a disagreement with my dear friend Linus. Because I think it's not just what Christmas is all about. But it's a lot more than that. As we've been talking about and going through the Old Testament, we've referenced this idea, this concept of the scarlet thread. And I pulled down this quote and I want to read it to you. It says, the scarlet thread of redemption is woven throughout scripture. It traces God's unfolding plan of love to redeem fallen mankind from Genesis 
the very beginning, to Revelation, the very close. This red ribbon represents our need for innocent blood sacrifice. Ultimately, God sent his son to die on the cross as a sacrifice for all of our sins. So where my challenge goes to Linus is this indeed what Christmas is all about, but it's what the whole story is all about. So I pulled this. Um, our little kids hopefully would recognize this. And for you guys on your note sheets, it's there just as a reference to show you guys how awesome this is and the highlights of what they get to study sometimes downstairs. And they go through and you can see this scarlet thread woven the whole way through the Old Testament and even continues through. The idea and the concept that this is no mistake and we get to see how God's sovereign plan unfolds as we read every book of the Bible. And so what I did was I, I looked at a couple of references and, and one in particular um, I found particularly awesome that was um, almost 600 prophecies mapped from Old Testament to New Testament and talks about the concept and walks through them and stuff like that. Um, if you guys want to write this one down, I apologize, I didn't put this on the note sheet. Uh, his name is J. Barton Payne. So it's an awesome, huge volume, one that's right now on my Amazon order list and it's coming to me. So we'll, we'll more to come on that one. All right, but so what I did was I said, hey, let's, I've sent an email out and I said, guys, what, what has struck some of you guys when we were talking about the scarlet thread and we want to spend some time just appreciating it? And um, so I said, I, I kind of kicked it off. And one of the very first glimpses that we get to see, this is Genesis 3, just after the fall. The first time that life is given because of sin is when God provides clothing to Adam and Eve after the fall and they're subsequently dismissed from the garden. And so we get to start the beginning trace so early, again, as it mentioned in Genesis. And as you keep reading, this was, this was something else that really struck me as we were going through. This is Leviticus 17. As God is laying out the law, and he talks about, for it is the blood that makes atonement for life. And just the idea that the necessity of blood being spilled for the atonement of life. And then I asked some of my dear friends, and I got an email back from Tom, and, and Tom goes, Zechariah 11, because it is so cool how specific it is. And I, I couldn't agree more, right? This, if we look at this here, and it says, 30 pieces of silver. Do you guys remember that reference as we go forward, right? And if you keep reading the Zechariah 11 reference, it also talks about the potter's field and how, just imagine, come on, the context of that is mind-boggling. And then I asked my dear friend Dave, and Dave, not to be trumped by my request for one verse, gave me several and so I challenged myself, and I put them on here, and, and Dave's point was amazing, and it's just the chances that we get to see God's glory come to his people, and we get to see it with the tabernacle being set up in Exodus 30, and then in Second Chronicles with the establishment of the temple, and the Lord filled the temple. He comes down to be with his people. And then when I was talking with Laura, she said, you know, what always struck me, and, and even as we're reading through, just the idea that in Genesis 17, God lays out this promise and fulfills it some 2,000 years later. Just the patience and the sovereignty that that shows of God to establish a covenant 
with Abram or Abraham, and then the fulfillment that we see as Jesus comes to establish the new covenant. And this scarlet thread wraps the whole way through, and it's been awesome as we've gone through the Old Testament to be able to say, well, what knowledge we have gained to be able to understand the depths of this. And I've really enjoyed it, and it sounds like hopefully, as I've talked with you guys, that you guys have as well. And so I I wanted to capture that as we dwell on it, we absolutely want to understand and partake in this knowledge of what God has done and laid out, and we get to enjoy in Scripture and Proverbs certainly highlights the idea of Scripture, or Scripture being memorized and written on our hearts, right? And in the bottom down here at the beginning of chapter 7 in verse 3, it says, write them as a tablet on your heart. We often reference that. But there's more than just this kind of straight-lined understanding, if you will, with that. Look already even here in Proverbs, what are the beginnings of this, it says, keep my commandments and keep my teachings. It's not just that we have them, right? But that they are kept. As I was walking through this idea of the scarlet thread, I was like, man, it is so much more than just knowledge, which was where we're starting tonight, right? Because here's the scary thing as we've just closed the gospels that we got to see, which I don't want to undermine. The fact that we are picking up in Matthew 8, And this is Jesus approaching a demon-possessed man. And we pick up here and it says, And he, Jesus, came to the other side to the country of Gardanus. Two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass its way. One of the other gospels just talks about how everyone just avoids the whole area because of these two. This is is the, the mention of legion, I am legion, right? And behold, they cried out, the two demon-possessed man, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us? This is just Jesus walking up. The demons are addressing and understanding in full knowledge of who Jesus is. So it's exciting to have and to hold knowledge But there's something more that we need. If even the demons, as Jesus walks up, are able to address him as, oh, son of God. So knowledge in and of itself is helpful, but also has some warning associated with this. We see this as we read in James. James 2, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. They understand, they recognize the authority, and they shudder at it. And as you keep reading, we see that, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So my challenge of progression here as we, as we dwell on the scarlet thread is not just that we have knowledge of it, but that we also have faith, which has this action component to it. Now, it's not works based by justification. No, no. But it is that what we will see in the scriptures ahead, so please hold fast with me, that our actions of faith are to pour forth and be evident of our inward changed heart. There's this really neat parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 21. And it's the idea that a father asks two of his sons the same command. And he says, please go work in the fields, go labor. And the one says, says, yeah, I'll do it, Dad. I got it. I got you. And goes and, and, and then doesn't do it. 
And the, the other son, he said, no thanks, I'm good. But then he has a change of heart and decides to go do it, to listen to his father. And at the end of the parable, Jesus concludes it with this, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And he's speaking about that second son, that son that made the change of heart and went and did what his father had asked him. He said, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe in him. That is the emphasis of the second son that does change his mind and follow through on his father's request. And we see this in Luke 2, when Jesus is talking about a tree, right, that bears fruit. And it, he says a tree can only bear the fruit of its own kind, basically. And so basically what is on the inside, that knowledge that seeps out and takes action, will have the same fruit of what knowledge it is. So the good person, out of good treasure of his heart, produces good And the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's not just actions, it's also the mouth that we speak with. And there's a whole rabbit trail that's in James 3, talking about the power of the tongue. And the idea that it's not just the actions that we see in James 2, but the tongue that we see in James 3. So faith, so now we have knowledge. We started with knowledge of the scarlet thread of who Jesus is and his coming and recognizing him as the son of man. And we're stepping forward here with past knowledge into faith. And Hebrews 11 is a whole chapter that talks through great men and women of faith. And it starts with this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So it describes that faith has a present tense, and there's this thing called hope that is of the future. So as we look at that, we now see that we don't just have faith that takes us to action, but we have hope for things that are to come, things that are promised by God. In Genesis 5, it continues to relay the balance of faith and hope, and it says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That hope of righteousness talks about and continues, 1 Peter builds this out wonderfully. And it talks here about, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, for he has caused us to be born again. So we have faith, again, uh, Remember when Nicodemus sits down with Jesus and he talks about what must I do, right? Talks about being born again and then what? And then a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that goes into and continues to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last of time. So now I've moved my Easter right in here to Christmas and I've brought the full continuum through and you're like, guys, holiday confusion, I know, but we cannot separate the two. Because as we stand here today, as we get to celebrate 
the coming of Jesus, we must recognize in knowledge and faith and then look forward in hope of what he is to do, who he is to us. And so as we see that, I, I wrote some notes down as I was thinking about the, the fact that knowledge, while helpful, has some limits. And we talked about faith as it has action. And this promise of hope, of hope, the things that has come, that as we even look at his first coming, how specific he is at his second. And that resurrection, the promise of redemption, that we will start to weave the golden thread as we go through the New Testament. The hope that we have in his second coming, his eternal kingdom is before us already. So I thought as I, as I was going through all this and, and I found that earlier quote, there was this great quote by D.L. Moody. And I wanted to share this with you because as we go through the quick speed of a holiday, we think maybe sometimes too grand. And what I'm asking you to do over these next couple of minutes here is just to consider the small rather than the large. And so D.L. Moody says this, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us that are willing to do the little things. And I think about that in the context of Christmas, that we are more than happy to celebrate, to sing carols, but then when it comes to the very small steps of everyday life, that recognizing a Savior that has come and celebrating him, all those little things... I kind of paraphrase this some, and so there's an original quote by D.M. Deglo here for you. And this is my exhortation that I want to close with you guys for this evening to consider. It is this, that as we stand tonight in a couple more minutes and continue to celebrate the coming of Jesus, our Messiah, to recognize that he came down for our celebration of Christmas, and ultimately gave his life on the cross, is this. I phrase it as, give your life, all of it to the Lord, whether it wants in the spirit of a martyr. We think about, again, those big steps that Moody was talking about, or everyday manner of a servant. Every small movement, decisions that we take to fully acknowledge the coming of our Lord. And the challenge here is that he already gave his life distinctively for every single one of us, both in coming and in dying on the cross. And my simple question that I would like you guys to consider through the evening and even into the next week is if you'll do the same. And not just in a decision on tonight, but continually as you wake up and celebrate tomorrow, as you go throughout your next week, will you allow these small moments to continue your celebration of the Lord that has come for you? As we talk about the Lord coming, we often signify that as light and Jesus being the light of the world. And one of my favorite things to do on a Christmas Eve service is candlelight. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And in this judgment, the light has come to the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. And John 3 speaks of us receiving the light. And then we get to read in Matthew as we close what we are to do with the light as we have it. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Join us, church, as we continue to close our service this evening and give glory to God who is in heaven.